Well, as Jamie read there, that is the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. And as you saw there, that Paul says, I delivered unto you of first importance. In other words, I said the most important thing to you. And then he goes in to talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he goes on to say, and he talks about the, the life, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So with today being Easter, generally speaking, uh, so we'll have sermons about the empty tomb, maybe talking through the Gospels and, and reading that story. And I think many of you are probably familiar with the story. You're familiar with Jesus dying on the cross. You're familiar with Jesus coming down, then putting in Him in the tomb. How on the third day they go, the women go to see Him. He's not there. Angels are there. Then they go back and report. And then you see Peter coming and John, and they run to the tomb. You're fairly familiar with that story. So this morning, I want to take a little bit of a different approach when we're talking about the resurrection. I want to spend time in 1 Corinthians 15 and talk more about the implications of the resurrection. What does it matter? We touched a little bit on that this morning for those who are with us on the sunrise service. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through 1 Corinthians 15 just after. I wanted uh, Jamie to read that for you so it could set the context of what Paul has just said And we're going to work through starting in verse 12 down through 26. Let's go ahead and work through the text together like we normally do. Starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Now, something I need to remind you of is these are letters that Paul is writing. Again, the Holy Spirit guiding Paul. Again, not just his words, but the Holy Spirit moving Paul to write. But again, from Paul's perspective, these were just letters that he was writing to these churches. And there was letters being sent back, back and forth from Paul to the church at Corinth. And so a lot of this is we see one-sided, one, one part of the conversation. We don't know what they asked, but Paul's giving an answer. Or they don't, we don't know what they said, but Paul's responding in some way. And so we don't get all the details, but what we do get is enough to try to figure out what's going on. And so here, what was happening in Corinth, which is happening all over and still happens today there were people who were denying the resurrection. There were people in the church denying that there really was a resurrection. So that's where we're picking up here. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So what Paul's going to do is he's going to make a logical argument. He starts off and he's saying, if, if we've been proclaiming Christ is raised from the dead, then why in the world would some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? Because that's the very thing that's been proclaimed. Verse 13, But if there is no resurrection from the dead, if that's not possible, if that can't happen, if that doesn't happen, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Okay? So they were, I don't really understand this phrase, and I would like one of you to explain it to me afterwards, but they... They wanted their cake and eat it too, which to me just seems like you should, if you have cake, you should eat it. But anyway, regardless, I don't get it. But so with this, they, they, were, they were wanting to say, okay, well, maybe Christ was resurrected, but the rest of us, no, that's not going to happen. We're not going to have a resurrection. So there's this little bit of tension. And so Paul's making this argument for them. And he's saying, again, 13, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Then he moves on. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And, look at the end of 14, your faith is in vain. 
So he's saying to the church of Corinth and to us today, if you're going to deny the resurrection, if you're going to say that there's no resurrection of the dead, then you're going to say that Christ is not resurrected. Then you're going to say that all the preaching is meaningless and your faith is actually meaningless. It's a pretty powerful statement. Verse 15, we are even found to be, look at this, misrepresenting God, Paul says, because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. He's just making this logical argument going down. He says, not only is our preaching in vain, not only is your faith in vain, he's saying, we've been, we've been lying about God. We've been misrepresenting God. And that would be a, quite the concern for Paul. Moves on to verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Report, uh, Reiterates that. Look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And this is a bit of a mystery, and this is what we covered today in Romans chapter 4, because usually when we talk about the cross, and oh, Jesus went to the cross, and He he dies on the cross in our place for our sins, right? And the blood flows, His pure blood, as a sacrifice. And our, oh, he's dying for our sins. If it stops there, if all he does is die, then he's no different than anybody else, and his sacrifice is meaningless. And he's saying, if that's the case, then guess what? You're still in your sins. And as we talked about on Thursday night as we were taking the Lord's Supper together, then that means the wrath of God is still on you. Because the point of the cross is that he takes the very wrath of God. He drinks the cup of wrath of God. But the resurrection is tied to that. It cannot be separate. And you will go all around this country, all around this world, and you will talk with others. And you know what? They're really okay. I've said this to some of you before. They're really okay with Jesus, as Ashton was mentioning, as a teacher, as a prophet, not the Son of God. And they're actually okay that He did a lot of things. But if you notice, many religions, when they attack many ideas theologies, whatever, when they attack Christianity, they go after the cross and the resurrection. And mostly the resurrection, because there's only a need for a resurrection if Jesus, what? Died. There's no need for a resurrection if he didn't die. So they attack the resurrection saying it's not true, because again, everything from what Paul's saying is linked into the resurrection. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So now he's saying, you're still in your sins, and if Christ actually wasn't resurrected, then those loved ones, who in here has ever lost a loved one? Show of hands, anyone. Yeah. What he would be saying there is, if you're denying the resurrection, then those loved ones you've lost, there's no hope. There's no hope. So he's trying to convince them of the resurrection and that it's real. Now watch this. This statement just blows me away. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we we are of all people most to be pitied. If there's no resurrection, if our hope is in Christ in this life only, there's not something to come, then we're to be the most pitied people of all. I thought on this and I said, how can Paul say this? There's a lot of great things about being a Christian even in this life, even if the next one isn't true. How can he say this? And I thought on it and prayed on it and thought on it and prayed on it. 
And of course, as I laid down last night, ready to get up for the early sunrise service, then the Holy Spirit decided to start to talk to me. So, 12.30 this morning, I'm up thinking on this more and more. And I hope this illustration is going to help. So, I'm going to need volunteers. Anyone out there that might be willing... Roy! Oh, man! Appreciate that, brother. Come on up here if you would. Hey, he's so... This guy, he's kind. He's kind. (laughs) All right, Roy, would you sit right here on this? I'm actually going to need Ashton to come on up, too. (laughs) I didn't tell him this. Ashton, come on up here, please. All right, so I was trying to grab, I was just wrestling with this, and so here's what we're going to have today. We have Billy Corporation. This is Billy Corporation. It's really nice. I I worked hard on this at 1230 in, in the morning. Got my smiley face, little symbol. This is the Billy Corporation, okay? It is great to work for the Billy Corporation. And this is Ashton Corporation. (laughs) He couldn't even spell corporation right. (laughs) Unbelievable. So if you'll hold that. Proudly, proudly. Now, just so you all know, there's no problem between the two of us. Yeah, he he knows that. Truth be told, this one would be Ashton's. That one would be how mine would look. But uh, this is just in fun. So two corporations. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to present this to Roy, and he gets to choose which one he would want to work for, okay? Right off the bat, Roy, just remember that versus that, okay? All right, so with my corporation, listen to what you get. If you work for me for 10 years, at the end of 10 years, I'm going to give you $1 million. While you work for me, you get to drive the best car, whatever you choose, I will give you the the newest cell phone, pay for that. Flexible hours, you kind of choose when you want to work. Weekends off, holidays off, paid vacation. The type of work you'd be doing is just kind of, you know, hanging out, we'll go fishing, hunting, build stuff together. That's the that's the work that I need. And I'll give you in addition to that one uh, that 1 million dollars, I'm going to give you 1000 a week just for doing that. That's what I offered. Now listen to what Ashton offered. Sad. You work for Ashton for 10 years. He's also going to give you a million. So that's pretty nice. You don't get a car. You better have your own cell phone. The hours are going to be terrible. You're probably going to work mostly the night shift. Overtime every week. You're going to work weekends. You're going to work through holidays probably. For the next 10 years, you're going to miss a lot of holidays. going to miss some things with family. Sounds like the post office. No paid vacation, missing time with family and friends. The type of work would be like, as Ashton clips his fingernails, you got to catch it. Stuff like that. Cleaning. Often enough, according to my wife. I don't know about toenails. Toenails, too. And uh, he will pay your basic bills during this time, you know, just your food and some of your basic bills, but that's it. All right. Which one do you think he should choose? How many of you say this one here would probably be a better deal? How many of you say that would be a better deal? There you go, Wesley. Okay, George is trying to think ahead here, I think. George is saying this might be a better deal. Okay. Let me ask you this. If Roy 
does all the things that I had said, right? He, he, he gets the nice car. He gets the phone. I'm giving him a thousand, week, a, a thousand a week, flexible hours. He doesn't miss time with his family. If at the end of that 10 years, I actually said, you know what? I was just kidding. I don't have, a, I don't have the money for you. How would you feel for him? Give me some feel. How would you feel? You feel bad. Yeah. But I mean, again, thousand a week. I mean, not terrible. Holidays off, paid vacation, not terrible. We were fishing, we were doing things like that. Feel bad that I didn't keep my word, but ultimately not too bad, right? How about if he was going around with Ashton? All that other stuff he did for 10 years. And at the end of the 10 years, Ashton goes, I don't have the million. How would you feel for him then? Much worse. Good. Thank you, Mr. Ashton. If you can go on down. You're okay. <laughs> Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, all, we are of all people most to be pitied. Here's the connection I'm trying to make for us this morning. There seems to be some connection about the way we live this life now that if the resurrection isn't true, if our sins aren't forgiven, if we don't go to heaven, then we should be pitied. So it's not really supposed to look like my job offer to Roy. It's not supposed to look so amazing, this life for the Christian right now. It's not supposed to look so amazing that if it's not real, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, if if we're not resurrected, then we are to be pitied. It's supposed to look closer to something to the effect of what's going on with Ashton's job where it's this very difficult life, difficult work, so that if it's not real in the end, we're to be most pitied. Are you, are you tracking with me? Are you at least tracking at this point? Okay. Now, if it was real, and he was working for me, but he actually didn't do any of the work I asked him to do, or if he was working for Ashton and he didn't do any of the work that he asked him to do. Okay? At the end of the 10 years, if he came up and said, okay, I want to get my, my, my money, if we said, well, no, you didn't do any of the work you were supposed to do, would that be fair? That would be fair. So the question that Roy would need to ask himself is, which company would he want to go with and what is he willing to gamble that it's going to be true? What's he willing to wager? Go ahead. Thank you, brother. I don't have to say that. You don't have to say. You won't, you won't, hurt, you won't hurt Ashton's feelings. <laughs> there must be something about the Christian life that we live now that if the resurrection isn't true, that we are to be most pitied. So now the question is, we need to look at our lives, look at what Jesus says what Paul says, what Peter says, what James says, John. What are our lives supposed to look like that if it's not true, we are to be pitied more than anybody in the world? What is it that our lives are supposed to look like? A few things I'll say. In Luke 23, Jesus talks about taking up your cross and what? Following Him. Let me ask you a question, especially for the youth who carried the cross the other day. 
Do you think carrying the cross is supposed to be an easy thing? Not an easy thing. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul is writing, and he says, anyone who desires to live a godly life will face persecution. Not might. Will. So if we're living a life where you don't face any persecution for what you believe, for following Christ, that's a concern. Maybe we're not doing the things that we're supposed to be doing or saying the things we're supposed to be saying. In in John 16, Jesus talks about tribulations and he says he's come that we might have peace, but in this world we will face many tribulations. Christians are to love others, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love what? Your neighbor as yourself. Are we to love our enemies? Pray for them? Pray for those who persecute us? Are we supposed to give to others? Are we supposed to help the orphans and the widows? Are we supposed to be a servant to all? Do our lives look like it? If we're doing those things, if we're following Christ the way that we see in these different passages, and the other passages, many more that you you guys know as well, if we're following Christ like that, then maybe at the end we would be pitied because we were doing all the hard stuff like Ashton's Corporation. But if we're just kicking it on cruise control, sailing towards eternity, things are easy, it's fine, I'm not really sacrificing anything for the kingdom of God, would you really need, should you really be pitied if it's not real? If the resurrection is so important to the Christian life, then that means we're living our life in light of the resurrection every day. And so the question I have for you today is, are you living your life in light of the resurrection? Does it make a difference for you? Does it change anything about you? If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, guess what? That means He wasn't God. If He's not God, then you know when He says, Behold, I'll be with you always? Guess what? He can't be. He's dead. So the peace that you get for being with Christ, the love that you have, the grace that He pours out in your life, if He's not raised from the dead, we wouldn't have that either. Okay? Are you tracking with me? All right, let's, let's move on. Oh, love verse 20. Love the beginning of verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen. Amen. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That first fruits means of all those who've died, He's the first one to come back. He's the first one to have the resurrection. He's the first one to ascend into heaven. And that opens the way for others to go. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Who's the man, congregation, who's the man that brought in death? Adam. Adam brought in death, okay? Disobeyed God, death comes, death reigns now, we have sin, death, sickness, all that reigns from the start from Adam and Eve. And it's passed on, all of us now have this sinful nature, everybody, except who? Jesus, virgin birth. So important. 
By a man also has come also the resurrection of the dead. Realize this. The resurrection, Acts 24 talks about this, the resurrection is not only going to be the resurrection for Christians. There'll be resurrections for the just and the unjust, meaning those who believe in Christ and those who do not. So the resurrection, this bodily resurrection, will be for everybody. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, like we just said, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This was, a very, this was a little bit of a debated topic because as I was reading on some of this, some other people would take this to mean, well, all be made alive. Well, to be made alive means to be a Christian, so all will be Christians, we'll all go to heaven. Is that consistent with all of Scripture? So can it mean that? It can't mean that. It's talking about this bodily resurrection that everyone will have. Because Christ has risen, everyone will rise. The question is, what will happen after that? Do you rise to go be with Christ or away from Him? Verse 23, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, Christ first, then those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God or the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Currently Christ is reigning, is he not? He is reigning and ruling. However, he has not returned to reign on this earth physically. Right now, it's a spiritual kingdom that we see. But he's returning one day to rule like this. And then, and then he will defeat, completely defeat, sin, Satan. And then look at the last verse. The last enemy to be destroyed, verse 26, is death. He destroys death. Slide over in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to share this with you as we close with this. Over to uh, verse 54. Paul goes on to talk more about the resurrection, which we, won't, uh, we don't have time to cover today. But slide over to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. Listen to what it says about death, because ultimately that's... For us in human standards, death is the scariest thing, is it not? I mean, death is scary unless you know Christ. And even then, it's not, it's, it can still be scary. But it's only scary, really, if it's the end. If death is really the end, and that's it, then it's very scary. And this life, who knows how, what we should do? It doesn't seem fair. People are dying young. People suffer. Other people kill people. If, if death is just the end, then this life makes no sense at all. And there's no justice. But listen, listen to this. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, right? When these bodies, when we get our new bodies, when we're resurrected and we have these new bodies that'll live forever, that we'll live forever in, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. This is from the Old Testament. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You see, for the Christian who believes in the resurrection, because the resurrection is real, death has no sting. It's just simply we're moving from here, the place that honestly is not very good to where we're going, which is perfect. I've said this before, many of you heard this. For the Christian, this is the worst it gets right now. 
what you're facing, what you face, this is the worst it'll ever be. And it's only going to be better. It's going to be perfect. For the non-Christian, this is the best it's ever going to be. And it will be terrible for all eternity. Verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where's the victory come from, congregation? The Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to close with 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters here today, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your your labor is not in vain. Here's the response. Be encouraged, beloved. The resurrection is real. Christ is raised from the dead. That means when we pass, we will be raised from the dead. And because He's been raised from the dead, that means everything that He did on the cross, God said, yes, I agree. This This is a good sacrifice. And your sins are forgiven. The wrath of God is taken off of you. So because that's true, live in light of that. Live in light of the resurrection. Labor. Your labor will not be in vain. There is a day that's coming that you'll be rewarded for your labor. It may not look great right now. It may look a lot like you're working for Ashton. But listen, you're working for the Lord. And He, you will not get to the end of this and say, and Him say, well, actually I was wrong. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Keep laboring. Live in light of the resurrection. If you're here and you're not a believer yet, you've never professed faith Scriptures say, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God did what? Raised Him from the dead. Notice again the resurrection in that part there. You will be saved. This is the time to respond and cry out to God. Let's go ahead and pray together. God of our resurrection, God of our peace, God of our hope, God of grace, we thank you for the fact that our labor is not in vain. We thank you for the fact that you, you are risen and that death has no sting for the Christian. We're thankful for all the labor that you'd have for us, not so that you'll love us, but because you already love us, the labor that we do for you, Lord, because we love you, and want to please you, is not in vain. I pray for my friends here today, Lord. I pray for those who are following you, that they would continue to labor in love for you. They would continue to share the gospel. They would continue to love, serve, put others above themselves, and live in light of the resurrection of Christ. And Lord, it's no accident that everyone's here today, Lord. I do pray that if anyone needs to come down and pray at the altar, need to change some things in life, Lord, they can do that at the altar. They can pray there. And Lord, if there's anyone who does not know you, please, please, please work in their heart. I I beg you if you're here, cry out to God today. Today is the day of salvation for you to believe and live in light of the, the cross and the resurrection. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.